Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today's message is going to be a little bit of a, a revisit. I did a series to open the first of the year called Enough, and it was all about our possessions and all about our things. And so some of what I'm going to say today may sound a little similar to that, but there's a, quite a bit of new information, I think important things for us to consider this morning without it being redundant. And um, just really trying to figure out how to, you know, we're seeking a way to make it through our culture um, properly as followers of Jesus, and that's not always easy for us to do. I want to begin this morning with two things. I want to start with a, a picture and a question, a picture and a question. Once in a while, we spend some time in someone else's home. Uh, I am very fortunate this weekend to have my good friend Michael and his wife Rochelle uh, visiting Didi and I, and they have spent the night with us and will be in the second service, and, and uh, we got to go out last night and have dinner and had a great time visiting in the living room last night, and so, you know, once in a while we do that. We go somewhere and we spend the night with someone that's, that we're close to and, and uh, stay in their home. You may have been in a small group this week, or you may have been in some kind of setting where you were visiting friends and you enjoyed their hospitality, and, and that was a great thing for you. Um, maybe you had dinner with friends, which is not an uncommon thing in our culture. You might have gone on a trip recently and used one of the services like VRBO or Airbnb. And, and um, I know Dee, Dee and I, every year in February, we go meet her family in Florida, and that's what we do. We find these houses that are for rent, and we rent it for the week, and then we converge on this house, and these people just open up their home and let us live there for the week, and it's really a pretty cool thing. Um, maybe when you were in school... <laughs> Your parents decided to go away for a while, and you stayed with a friend and, or maybe a relative for a year or two, I mean a week or two, while they were, <laughs> you might have wanted to, they might have wanted to leave you there for a year or two, um, but you stayed at somebody's house while they, you know, maybe you had to go to school, and they, they were going to take a trip in the middle of the school year or whatever. Today, we're talking about a woman named Nympha, and we're going to talk about her home and what she used her home for. We're talking about people who found a sense of belonging in her home. I want to show you a, a quick map of two locations. You're going to see Colossae there. The letter to the Colossians is a, is a, a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church that existed there. These are brand new Christians. He's writing to them to encourage them, to, to, you know, to help them make their way in this new faith and uh, to encourage really a growing faith in the Colossian people. Because you know as well as I do that not everyone who begins the journey of faith ends well the journey of faith. Not every journey of faith that starts well finishes well. And it's possible to get off to a, a good start and somehow lose your way. To, to somehow, you know, something goes wrong along the way and you just kind of lose your way. And in chapter 4... There's a, a section of scripture where Paul is talking about uh, different individuals and he, he's kind of speaking for them. And he says, you know, so-and-so sends their greeting and, and this one sends their greeting. And, and uh, Nympha is one of the people who gets special mention in Colossians 4 from Paul. And Nympha lived about uh, 10 miles up the road from Colossian, the Colossian people in the city of Laodicea. And we, we talked a little about Laodicea in, in uh, January. We're going to do it again today. Colossians chapter 4.15 says this, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha, 
and the church in her house. The church in her house. It was going to be another two or three hundred years before they would start building church buildings, so churches would meet in someone's home, and uh, usually it was a larger home. Someone would basically say, hey, you can come to my place, and you can, we can have church at my house, and the home would become a gathering place for the Jesus followers that were in that town, um, and in Laodicea, one of those homes was owned by this lady named Nympha. Uh, the house probably looked something like this. This is what's known as a type of construction called peristyle, peristyle architecture. And, you know, wealthier homes probably would have been constructed in some manner like this. In, uh, in the archaeological ruins of Laodicea, <clears throat> we find several homes in this peristyle um, kind of format. And uh, you can see that you would walk in and there would be rooms, but in the middle there would be this courtyard. And the way the Roof lines were constructed and the way the roofs were constructed, it, it channeled all the water to the inside courtyard. There was usually a, a water feature of some kind, a fountain or something that was in the middle. And so all this courtyard enabled for there to be natural light to go into the house and, and it, it kind of created a, an, an air conditioning kind of thing for them. Um, you know, a, the rooms were all arrayed around this courthouse. And, and so there's fresh air and sunlight, just beautiful uh, setting to, you know, to, to be able to meet and have a group of people there. Um, and, and so it's very likely that Nympha's home looked something like that. And they, as I said, they've done archaeological digs uh, in, in that part of the world. And there's, there's an awful lot of homes that they're finding like that. Um, if you were to walk past Nympha's house and you were to pause outside... And just listen for what was coming out on a particular Sunday morning, which is when they would have had church. They, you would have likely heard uh, somebody praying, or you would have heard somebody, a group of people singing. You might have heard someone, you might, you know, you would, if you could peek in a window, you would see people hugging and shaking hands and happy to see one another. Very similar to what happens here on a Sunday morning. And is here, what Nympha did, Nympha... We, we learn about Nympha that she lived with open hands. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Nympha learned to live her life with open hands. Nympha said, my resources are at God's disposal. And she lived that way. Uh, she, she lived in a way that said, you know, I've got a house, and if the church needs to meet in my house, then they are welcome to meet in my house. I'll do whatever I can to facilitate and make my house available so that everybody can come here and and, and learn and grow and fellowship. And Nympha is a little different than the others that we've looked at in the series. You know, we talked in the first uh, week about Tychicus, and I told you that Tychicus appears in like five different books of the New Testament. Um, it's not a name that you hear a lot, but when you really start to focus on him and, and kind of look for him, he shows up in five different books in the New Testament. And then last week, we talked about John Mark. It takes a map to track John Mark. Like to, to figure out all the places he went and know everything about him, you've got to follow him on a map. With Nympha, this is the only reference we have to her. Give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. And Paul just lets us know that Nympha lived in such a way that her resources were available to God. And it sets us up today for a conversation about our stuff and the way we use our, our stuff. Today I want to talk about our, our, the things that we have, and I want to talk about it on three different levels. Level number one is stuff we don't use. 
Does this look familiar to anybody? Anybody else have a garage that looks like that? And you, uh, <clears throat> you stand in the middle of it, if you can get to the middle of it, and, and you say something to the effect of, honey, how did we get all this? Where did all this come from? I don't remember us ever doing this. How did we get this? Clothes you don't wear, tools and gadgets that you don't use, old technology, toys that kids have grown uh, past and don't play with anymore, food that's gathering mold in the refrigerator that you forget to throw out, you know you find it later, or is that just me? Um, level one, stuff we don't use. Level two, stuff we use. It's that reliable car you have. It's that nice meal that you got to enjoy with friends. Dee Dee and, and I and Michael and Rochelle got to go out and enjoy a really nice meal last night, and, and it was just a very pleasant evening. Um, you know, that's just that's something that you, we were able to use, something we were able to do that you, you just, when you're done, you just kind of uh, sigh this prayer of, of uh, thanksgiving, and you say, God, thank you for that. That was really, that was really nice. Maybe it's your favorite coat. Maybe it's a, um, you know, a, a favorite coat that you have, a favorite uh, pair of jeans that you have. For me, it's, uh, I, there's a couple of things that are <clears throat> in my life that are important to me, that, <clears throat> that belong to me, that I use, and I'm very thankful for those things. Like, I have a, um, a nice car, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, it's, it's reliable, it's comfortable, it's, um, it's just a, when I get in it, I know that it's going to take me where I need to go, and I'm going to get there, and it's going to be comfortable, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. I have a, a computer that I use all the time. When I open that computer up and I start typing on that computer, I just know it's going to work right. It's, it's, I just, I really enjoy my computer. I have a, carry a pocket knife with me. Um, Dee Dee bought this for me for Christmas, and, and uh, I use this thing every day. It's all scratched up, and, and um, it's all beat up, but it's mine, and I use it and keep it sharp and make sure that it's ready to go. Um, I have a stereo in my house that I'm, a, as you might know, I'm, I'm really into music. I like music, and I like to hear it. Uh, loud sometimes, and uh, I've got a stereo that can make that happen. So it's the stuff that we actually use. It's the things that you have that you think, you know, when you start talking about giving stuff to Goodwill, you kind of wrap your arms around those things and you say, no, not this. I want to keep this. I like this. This is something that I use all the time. You might say to your spouse, I don't want to get rid of this. I, I use this. Well, that's, you know, that's great. Stuff we use. Level three is Nympha. Level three, three is the stage that Nympha was on. This is stuff we use for the benefit of others. And this is a beautiful thing. Level three is living with open hands. It's understanding that what you've been given has been given to you for the benefit of other people. Now, let me say something here. Whenever somebody like me gets up and starts talking on a subject like this, whenever a, a preacher starts talking about the things we have, starts talking about you know, maybe our money or whatever it is, uh, it tends to bring up some deep emotions in people, and one of the first emotions that we experience in conversations like this, you hear this and you think to yourself, oh, you know, I, I've just made some pitiful financial decisions in my life. I, you know, I've bought things that I don't use. We've, we've gone crazy and put stuff on a credit card that we shouldn't have, and now we've got this outrageous credit card debt, and Brett's going to talk about this, and oh, I don't want to do that, and we bought a bunch of stuff that we absolutely did not need, and we've got a garage that looks like that garage that he just showed us. I mean, I mean, did he, did he show up at our house when we weren't looking? How did he get that picture? And 
And I think it's real easy for one of the, the emotions to come up in you when you hear me going where you think I'm going with this. One of the emotions can be shame. Listen to me. In this conversation this morning, don't stay there. I don't talk about this day today to, to shame anybody. I'm not, talk, I'm not bringing this up to, to make anybody feel bad. I mean, if, if, you know, if you've got a garage that looks like that, then you've got a garage that looks like that. Just don't, don't be ashamed. Don't, you know, it's, it's not, nobody is looking down their nose at you as we talk about this today. Don't, don't think to yourself, oh man, I hope nobody really finds out you know, what kind of shape I'm in financially or with all my stuff. Or No, we are people in progress. We are people in process. We are learning. We are growing all the time. And so, you know, my goal today isn't that you leave here and that you feel shame because you don't maybe have your, you're not on top of all this like you wish you could be and, and you think, man, I, I'm, no, I'm nowhere close to where Brett was talking about today. That's not, that's not the goal. There isn't a reason in the world why five months from now things couldn't be different for you than they are today. There's not a reason in the world why you couldn't come in here today and, and be challenged a little bit and, and maybe give, be given a different perspective on things and to think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to start doing some things a little different. I'm going to start taking a different approach to the things that I have in my life and the, 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 a different approach to the, the money that God enables me to, to handle on a daily basis. Sometimes God can use something to move us in a new direction and sometimes it's just a teaching in the Bible. Where somebody like me gets up and talks a little bit and you hear it and you think, you know what, I could do that. So shame isn't the goal. I don't want you to stay there. Uh, if you're there at all, I don't want you to stay there. My hope today is that we will use Nympha's story as an impetus to move us to a new and better place and go in a different direction with regard to our approach to the use of the things that we have on a daily basis. That's, that's really the goal. So let's talk about your house. And, you know, a 17-year-old kid would say, Brett, I don't have a house. I'm, re I'm not really talking about the physical structure. I'm talking about the money that moves through your house. I'm talking about the, the goods. I'm talking about the, 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 the different items that move through your house, the things that you own, stuff we want, stuff we need, stuff we own, stuff we use. When I talk about your house, I'm, not just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just talking about stuff that goes through there. Sometimes you give it away. Sometimes it finds a corner in your house and it stays there forever and collects dust. Um, it's the stuff that moves through our hands and it moves through our control. And I think it's possible for somebody to be in the room this morning and think to yourself, my goodness, Nympha must have had it easy. I mean, the culture she lived in, it had to be easy for her. I mean, we live in such an advertising, saturized, saturated culture. It's consumer-driven. Um, we have it tough, you know, in... in her world in Laodicea, they probably had it pretty easy. She didn't have to live in the difficult time in America that we live in, to which I would say no, but she did have to live in Laodicea, which was a challenging culture. Laodicea is the most active archaeological dig in Turkey uh, right now, and they are constantly unveiling new things. They're constantly discovering new streets and new houses and new temples and, and, and you know, new marketplaces and things like that. Laodicea was in the, the Lycus River Valley, and, I mean, the pictures that I've seen of that valley, you know, just, just beautiful. In the south, there were mountains that rose 
eight and a half thousand feet. And if you lived in, Lyca, in, in the Lycus River Valley, if you lived in Laodicea, you would look out on that, and that was your vista to the south. You know, all these mountains, just beautiful, snow-capped, gorgeous. Laodicea in the Lycus River Valley, it, they raised some of the, the finest fruits and vegetables, some of the freshest crops, some of the, the greatest food in the region. They, they had the best food in the region because it was such a, a fertile place. So the soil was great for growing things. Laodicea, told you this in January, Laodicea was a banking center. Laodicea was a, a medical center, specifically with regard to the eye. They had their own uh, like a salve that they had discovered and people came from miles around to get this salve to put on their eyes. They had this, this ability to heal some things in the eyes. Um, they, they were also in, big in the textile industry. They raised this certain kind of sheep that was a, a black sheep. And when they would shear the wool on that sheep and weave it into things, the coat of that sheep was really shiny. So if you saw someone with one of those coats that had been made out of the wool from one of these special sheep, you knew it had come from Laodicea because it was, it was unique to them. And so consequently, they, they, there was a lot of money coming into Laodicea. On top of all that, there's a major road that went right through Laodicea, and you had constant caravans coming into and out of the city. There was major trade happening all around. Laodicea was a very cool place to live. Not unlike America. We, we have everything that you can possibly want available to you in this country, and we have the freedom to go get it. You know, there, there, there's, there's really nothing that is, we're told, you know, you can't have that. If you, if you want a specific kind of milk, you can go get that milk. If you're looking for water with, that's infused with lemon drops, you can go get that. If you, you know, if you like a certain kind of meal or if you like a certain kind of diet food or a certain kind of fish, it doesn't matter. You can get it in our country. And in Laodicea, it was very similar. There was very little that was, was left out for them. There was very little that wasn't available to them. Very, very cool place to live. And it would be easy to think that living in a place like Laodicea, it would make it easier to draw close to God. But in fact, that's not the case. There was so much blessing, so many things to be thankful for. You, you would think to yourself, you know, I bet if I lived in Laodicea, I would just get closer and closer and closer to God. Nope. As their wealth accumulated, their hearts grew further and further away from God. Does that sound like any culture that you know? Back in January, we, we looked at Laodicea in the book of Revelation, and we, we took a specific look in those chapters uh, 2 and 3. Revelation reveals seven letters that uh, are written to seven different congregations, Ephesians, uh, the, the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And in this particular uh, section of scripture, John is writing the revelation that he has received from God as he's, been on, uh, uh, as he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. But he's really quoting Jesus when he's writing to these churches. And it's Jesus speaking to these churches. And he's telling them, this is going well, this isn't going well. And so he's giving them instruction, and he's also giving them some criticism, some things that he's proud of with them, some things that they need to work on. And in almost every church that he addressed, there is something that's going well, and he highlights, he says, that, you know, that's, that's going well, you're doing good there, that's great. And then there's something where he says, that's not going so good, and that needs to change. There were two churches who did not get 
both of those. There were, there were two churches that didn't get both the encouragement and the challenge. The church, there was one church, uh, the church at Smyrna gets no correction because Jesus knew that the church at Smyrna was just getting hammered by persecution. They, they were having all kinds of trouble. Nothing was going right for them. They were impoverished as a people. They didn't have a lot of money. They just, they didn't have a lot of support. Wasn't a whole lot going right for them. So they needed lots and lots of encouragement, and that's what Jesus gives. But there's another church that gets no affirmation, only correction. Any idea what church that is? Laodicea. We read this in Revelation 3. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I don't know exactly when it was. I think it was... um, like 65 A.D., there was a major earth, earth, uh, uh, volcano. I think it was a volcano. Maybe it was an earthquake. I think it was an earthquake. It happened, and it affected the whole region. I mean, it, it tore everything up in the whole region. And Nero was in charge at the time, and so he sent delegates out, uh, kind of like our uh, emergency disaster relief fund. He sent delegates out and said to the different cities and said, hey, We've got some money available to you from the Roman Empire to help you kind of recover and get back on your feet. Well, the, the, the people at Laodicea, the government there said, no thanks. We don't want that. We don't want your help. We don't want any outside interference. Just leave us alone. We'll take care of this ourselves. And so what you read is, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That's, that was the, the attitude of the Laodiceans. I don't need anything. I'm good. I got everything I need. We are self-sufficient. The city would have had this attitude, and apparently this thinking has infiltrated and worked its way down into the people, and Jesus' opinion of this congregation was just a little bit different. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Just keep in mind, these, these are things that are being said to a culture that is very much like our own. He said, you don't get it. You don't understand what's happening to you. Laodicea was a church that was financially set and, was, and yet was spiritually poverty-stricken. Some of the last words that Jesus has for the church at Laodicea are those very famous words that we find in Revelation 3, verse 20. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will eat with me. That's what Jesus has to say to the church at Laodicea, a church that has lost its way. And Jesus is is basically trying to get back into their hearts in some way. He says, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I'm waiting on you to let me back in. Here's what we learn from the church of Laodicea. Wealth is not always a friend to faith. I told you that in January. Wealth is not always a friend to faith. Money does not always treat Christians well. And it just kind of seems like there's a gravitational pull away from God the wealthier we get. Because it's very easy for us to get lured into this thing where we think, well, I've got all this stuff. I don't really need God. In all our efforts to make wise decisions and to establish savings accounts and banking accounts and reduce our debt, and, you know, we do the Dave Ramsey thing around here every January. We believe in that. You know, we encourage you to to make good financial decisions. We encourage you to save some. We encourage you to pay yourself, pay your bills, Pay God, you know, not necessarily in that order. Pay God first. We, we encourage all that, to be smart with your money. But often there is spiritual slippage 
and the heart can come a play can become a place where it says, you know, God, I don't really need you. I've got everything I need because my money seems to be solving all my problems. And thanks, kind of like the Laodiceans, thanks, but I got this. Wealth is not always a friend of faith. And as we do the smart stuff with our money, we have to remember that. What if the more financially responsible we come, there is just this pull, this thing that pulls us away from God. What if the better we get with our money, there's also this pull away from our dependence on God? So what are we to do to make sure that we have a heart that is alive to God as we do the smart stuff with our money so that we don't end up with a, a full garage and an empty soul? We talked earlier about ch a challenging culture. Now I want to talk about a courageous response. How do you keep your heart alive to God as God blesses you with more things? As your wealth grows, as your financial situation improves, as things go better for you, how do you keep that from coming to us? See, when you don't have those things, you're depending on God. You might be sitting here today thinking, well, Brett, my wealth isn't increasing. I don't have more. I have less. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not getting richer. I'm getting poorer. Then I, here's what I probably know about you. You are probably praying a lot. You're probably very dependent on God. You probably wake up every morning thinking to yourself, God, if you don't come through for me today, I'm sunk. But see, when you're improving your wealth, when you're improving your situation, that's not always the case. Now, it might be the case. Maybe you're the kind of person that's improving your wealth, your, your money situation, and you're, every day you wake up and you say, God, I just want to start this day by saying thank you. I'm not suggesting that if you're getting wealthier, then you're automatically moving away from God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there seems to be a pull, a gravitational pull that kind of makes us lose sight of the fact that we are dependent on God. So how do you keep your heart alive to God as your wealth grows? And for advice on this, all we got to do is just travel down the road a little bit. Um, 100 miles east of Ephesus was Laodicea, which was, or I'm sorry, 100 miles Sorry, 100 miles west is Ephesus. And Ephesus is on the coast, the Aegean coast. It's, um, when you think of Ephesus, I want you to think of, uh, I've told you this before, it was one of the four largest cities in the known world. You kind of think to yourself, Hong Kong or New York City. Think a place where there's lots of different languages, lots of different cultures, lots of people, a lot of trade. There's a trade route coming in. There are boats coming into the bay all the time there's there's you know there's a slave trade there there's all kinds of stuff happening in Ephesus there are temples there's all different kinds of religions um, there's entertainment the marketplace is massively huge I mean Ephesus was just this amazing place boats everywhere people everywhere fourth largest city in the Roman world Paul spends three years at Ephesus trying to establish a church there and then he leaves and the person who comes to take his place is a young man named Timothy and Paul writes back to Timothy to encourage him and in 1 Timothy 6 he's coaching Timothy how to how to talk to people of means how, you know what do you Timothy what do you say to people whose lives are going pretty well what do you say to people whose situation financially seems to be improving and this is what he says command those who are rich in this present world 
not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. You say, Brett, I'm not rich. (laughs) I'm not wealthy. You're You're talking to me like you think I'm wealthy, and I'm not wealthy. If you woke up this morning, and you looked in your closet, and you had to decide which pair of shoes to put on, you're wealthy. If you walked outside, and on your key ring were two keys to two different cars, and you got to decide which one you were going to get in to drive to church, you're wealthy. If you slept on a bed with sheets last night, with a fan on you or an air conditioner running, you're wealthy. If you woke up and you ate a breakfast this morning or had coffee, if you've got loose change in your ashtray this morning... (laughs) You're wealthy by the rest of the world's standards. We're wealthy. We have so much. You know, we did that exercise in January where I had you go count your shirts, and I was embarrassed to have to get up here and tell you how many shirts were in my closet. We're wealthy. We woke up in America this morning, and by virtue of waking up in America, we may as well have hit the lotto. So this verse isn't for somebody else. This verse is for every single one of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Here's a question. Can we do anything to keep our heart alive to God in the face of our affluence? And the answer is yes, we can do some things. Three habits I want to give you this morning, uh, real briefly. Habit number one, enjoy. If you get to go on a great vacation this summer, I hope you go and have a ball. If you've got a motorcycle in your garage and that's the thing that you get to, you know, like when you get on your motorcycle and you get out in the sunshine and you ride your motorcycle and it just brings you joy, I hope you enjoy that. If you have a really sweet ride that you polish all the time and you, you, know, you put a little money into it, make sure it runs good, and you just when you get in that car and you drive it and you go out for a spin and you just think to yourself, man, this is great, this is, I love this. Good, I hope you enjoy that. If your house is spacious with great living environments and uh, you know, a lot of really cool rooms and, and, a, and a hot tub, invite me over. <laughs> then, <laughs> no. No, enjoy it. Enjoy it. I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to think, man, we've got all this stuff. I hope nobody knows we've got all this stuff, and you know, we shouldn't have all this stuff. If you've got a pair of jeans that are your favorite pair of jeans, when you put those on, it's like, oh, these are awesome. Enjoy it. Great food with friends later. Some of you will go out to eat and, and enjoy someone else's company. Listen, enjoy that. But here's the challenge. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Inherent in the enjoyment is the recognition of the provision of God. Inherent in the enjoyment is you saying, you know what, I just want to pause for a minute and recognize I have this car because God's been really good to me. I'm eating this really good meal because God is being really, really good to me. You're going to walk into your house today and it's like, oh man, 
We're home. God's been really, really good to me. Here's a little secret. Just because you have something doesn't necessarily mean that you enjoy it. I've seen people surrounded by really, really nice things, and they couldn't seem to enjoy what they had because they had their eye on something else that was even better than what they had. And they couldn't wait to get that. They couldn't wait to move there. They couldn't wait to have that next thing. And they just, they really, quite honestly, they never seemed happy. Obsessing over things you don't have can keep you from enjoying the things that you do have. Some of us have house envy or trip envy or car envy. Some of us want to be somebody else. And doing that kind of stuff, having that kind of envy can keep you from enjoying the things that God has given to you to make provision for you. Don't, don't be like that. In a consumer culture, the heart is at risk as wealth grows. A habit we can practice to prevent damage is to enjoy. Habit number two is to serve. Paul hits on this as he talks to Timothy. Command them to do good to, to be rich in good deeds. So serve. And you say, Brett, this seems to be kind of a financial conversation we're having. What in the world are we doing talking about serving in the middle of a financial conversation? Why would serving come up in a conversation like that? Because growing wealth leads to the heart saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. Can I get more? Where, where else can I make a little more? What, what, where can I, it, it just seems to become about us. And when you live your life with open hands, when your time is at the disposal of others, when you're a humble, faithful servant, when you involve yourself in servanthood, it trains the heart to say, it's not about me. It's really not about me. Servanthood is anti-arrogance training. I'll say this, show me a servant and I'll show you someone who is likely not arrogant. Now there are a bunch of you in this room who are servants. I know you, I know you well and I've seen you do different things. I've watched you uh, put what you needed or what you wanted on the back burner for someone else. I've watched you donate time. I've watched you donate money, sometimes large sums of money. I've, I've been the beneficiary of some of your generosity, some of you in this room. And here's what I know. When you engage yourself in that kind of servanthood and that kind of generosity, it's kind of anti-arrogance training. I've not ever seen really anybody who was a really strong servant or a really generous person that I thought was an arrogant person. Brett, how do I keep my heart alive to God and do sm as I do the smart stuff with my money, as I take care of my resources, as maybe my little nest egg grows a little bit, how do I keep my heart alive to God? Enjoy? Serve? Is there anything else we can do? Yeah, there's one more thing. Habit number three, share. Share. First Timothy 6, the second part of, or first part of verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That is exactly what Nympha did. 
In some way, there was some meeting of some sort in her house. Level one, stuff we don't use. Level two, stuff we use. Level three, stuff we use in the service to others. Be generous and willing to share. This is the third habit. Share. The habit of enjoying. The habit of serving. The habit of sharing. These can aid us in keeping our hearts right in an age of consumption. We live in a world where we are, I mean, we are encouraged at every turn to just consume. So I'm, I'm done this morning. But before we close, I just want to have one last little conversation with you. There's this, um, I want to show you this 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 way that we're generous. There's a way that we can be generous, and it, it starts with a triangle. It's our spontaneous giving. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe you're really good at this. Um, you say, Brett, what are you talking about? What does that look like? We, we've got a team that's, in, in, that's on their way back from Ireland. I'll be back sometime in the next day or two, and they've spent a week to 10 days over in Ireland trying to, to help some other people understand who Jesus is a little better. And, you know, it's not a cheap thing to get on an airplane and go to Ireland. That's a big deal. And so we've had some, some adults and some kids who've needed to raise some money. And we've had bake sales, and we've, I don't know what all they've done. They sold cookie dough. And some of you probably bought cookie dough that you didn't need. Right? Some of you probably, I know for a fact, some of you stroked some pretty large checks so that those kids could go to Ireland. When they, when they sent out letters and said, hey, we're going on this trip and we need a little extra help, could you help us? Many of you got out your checkbook and you stroked a check, to which I want to personally thank you. But that's a spontaneous thing, right? Like that's just kind of spontaneous giving. Another way that we might do that is, um, you know, a neighbor comes and uh, to your house or a friend of yours, they call you up and they say, hey, do you, do you still have that chainsaw? And you say, yeah, I've still got it. Hey, could I borrow that? And you say, no, you can't borrow it, but I'll give it to you. I mean, my wife and I just recently sold everything and moved into a condo. We're kind of trying to downsize and get rid of some things. I don't have any need for a chainsaw. I'll tell you what, why don't you take the chainsaw, store it in your garage that looks like that, and when I need one, I'll come borrow it from you. You service it. You keep gas in it. You put oil in it. And when I need a chainsaw, I'll come borrow your chainsaw. How's that? So, you know, that's spontaneous giving. And that happens all the time. You might be one of these people that when you pull up and you see the person that's got the sign and they need something, they're asking for food or they're asking for some money, you may be one that says, hey, I'll give to that. That's spontaneous giving. And, and we, we probably all do that in one way or another. Spontaneous giving you know, we're, I think we're pretty good at that. Here's the problem with spontaneous giving. It has a now and then kind of feel to it. It's, it's inconsistent. Sometimes we're doing it, sometimes we're not doing it. It's not a consistent thing. So the goal this morning is that we would move beyond that. Let, let's move beyond that. Nympha had people showing up in her house for church over and over and over again every Sunday they showed up at her church so now we're talking about scheduled sharing and scheduled giving scheduled sharing scheduled giving examples of this would be you know I'm gonna get involved in that ministry I'm gonna do kids hope I'm gonna sign up and I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna mentor a kid 
for an hour a day, and I'm going to give my time so that that little guy or that little girl who probably doesn't have a whole lot, and if you honestly knew some of the situations that some of those kids are facing over there, you, you would be amazed at, that, they can even, that they're even upright and that they're even dressed. And you would say, you know what? I'm going to give a little bit of my time, and I'm going to go help. I'm going to, I'm, every week, I'm going to go in. And part of Kids Hope, the importance of Kids Hope, is the consistency. Making sure that you show up. Making sure that they know that you love them and that you care about them. We have people right now that are in watching babies. They're in the nursery watching babies so that you can be in here and you can relax and you can, you can worship and you can pray a little bit and not have to be distracted by something else. And they show up every week and they give, they're scheduled and they say, you know what, I'm going to give my time to that. We've got people that work with our youth groups. Some of you work at the doors. Some of you are in the parking lot. Some of you are showing up to mow grass for us. Some of you do things that no one ever sees, ever sees. But you're scheduled, and you do it, and you show up, and it's just a part of who you are. It is scheduled, consistent. That's the thing, the, the word that we would associate with it. It's consistent. You're just consistent. You say, that might encroach on my life. That, that, you know, Brett, what you're talking about is, what you're talking about is, it's going to take over a little bit. Like, it's going to hold me down. It's going to, it's going to make it so that I'm, you know, I'm kind of, um, I'm tied to it. Yeah. It's important for us to schedule some things in our life where we're constantly giving ourselves away. You are surrounded by people. You, may, you might be hear me talk about this and you're thinking, well, I don't, you know, he's saying people do that, but I don't do that. But I'm telling you, you are surrounded by people who, who consistently, schedulely give themselves away. You're surrounded by people who, who consistently schedule their giving, who walk in here every week and they, they percentage give and they say, you know what, this is just built into who I am and what we do and we don't even think about it. This is scheduled for us. Um, we're just going to do everything that we can to, to help Cross Lane. And here's the thing, Cross Lane has made this incredibly easy for you. We've done everything we can to make it easy. We have offering envelopes, we have offering plates, and if you're a visitor with us, just let me tell you, don't ever feel compelled to give to our offering. Any of you, I don't, any of you. That's not why we pass an offering. We pass an offering because we have lots of different ministries. We're trying to, we, all that stuff has to be paid for. But we've got online giving through our, app, our, our webpage. You can go on our app and you can give through the app. And, you know, the thing is, somebody would say, I hear this a lot. I'm, I'm, it just amazes me when you watch people and then they call themselves a Christian and you think, and I don't, I'm not in the business of deciding who is and isn't a Christian. That's not my job. But sometimes you can't help but notice the fruit. And you hear someone say, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm a Christian. Jesus, so what you're saying is when you say you're a Christian, when you say something like, I've given my life to Jesus, what you're saying is Jesus has me. Jesus has me. But you know what? If you are not consistently scheduling your sharing and your giving, 
then really what you're saying is Jesus has me except for my time and except for my resources. And I'm just telling you that if, if Jesus does not have your time and he doesn't have your resources, he probably does not really have you. Now, I'm not telling you that that means you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you think you've completely given yourself to God and those are areas that you're holding back from God, then you probably have not given everything that you have to God. And that's the goal, is that I would give everything I have to God. And it's possible that Jesus does not have you. The question this morning is, does God have you? That's just the question I want you to wrestling with as you walk out the door. Does God have me? Are you in the habit of enjoying? We're pretty good at that. Are you in the habit of serving? Are you in the habit of sharing? Scheduled giving. There is a gravitational pull away from this in our culture. And there is a gravitational pull in every church that I've ever seen and ever been a part of, and I know it in my own life, that as, as things get better for me, there is a gravitational pull to pull me away sometimes from God because I have all this stuff and look what I did and when we start giving and we start sharing it is anti-arrogance training where we just get really humble and we say God thank you thank you how do I take some of what you've given me to make a difference in somebody else's world here's what I know I know that people have invested in me my entire life People have been teaching me how to be generous my entire life. And so a lot of times when I'm praying, God, I'm really thankful for them. I'm thankful for what they've done for me. I'm thankful for this gift. God, I mean, I'm just blown away by this. What I hear God whisper to me is, your turn, your turn. So what is it your turn to do? That's none of my business. That's all your business. I pray that you'll wrestle with that and uh, figure some of that out in the, in the days to come. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, as stated this morning, you, you have unbelievably blessed us because of where we woke up this morning. We have so much. And we would just simply stop before we take another step or say another word and just say, God, for everything that you've given to us and for the many things that we enjoy Thank you. But Father, it doesn't stop there. You give us that stuff so that we can turn around and we can make a difference in other people. And I pray, Lord, that as we learn how to do that, that you would, um, you would make a difference through us, that you would, as, as we get possessions, as we get money, as we figure out what we're going to keep and what we need to give away, I pray, Lord, that, that you would... Bless people through us. Man, what a, what a wonderful feeling it is when that happens in my world. And so, Father, we're, we're humbled this morning. We're humbled. We don't want to be like the Laodiceans and say we don't need anybody or anything. We need you. We know we need you. And so, Father, as we move through this next week, would we be enjoying the things that we've been given? Would we be willing to serve and would we be quick to share? Help us to schedule it. Help us to be consistent in it. Make it a lifestyle for us, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.